0: Tonight, we really begin in earnest our study of the book of First Peter. Last, or actually two weeks ago, we did a survey of the book to try to introduce the book to you. Uh, and then last week, because so many of our staff were exposed to COVID uh, in different settings, uh, we did not have service, and so... Tonight we come back to the book of 1 Peter, and what I'm going to do tonight is to review a little bit of what we talked about two weeks ago, since so some of you weren't here and it's been two weeks ago, and then we're going to go in earnest studying the first few verses of 1 Peter. So this study, 1 Peter, Hope in a World That Is Not Our Home, is an amazing and timely book. So I hope you have your Bibles, go ahead and find the book of 1 Peter, if you uh, Have your note sheet if you're here in the sanctuary. We have note sheets available for you. Grab that. Uh, If you're watching online, I hope you've got a notebook. We're going to give you a lot of things to write down uh, tonight as we talk about. Specifically, tonight, as we start this study, we want to talk about our identity in this world. So, here's what I want to do I want to read the first two verses. And then I want to begin the historical review of what we did two weeks ago and launch into our study. So here's the first two verses of 1 Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and by sprink- and sprinkling by His blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Tonight, let's start this study of this short letter of encouragement that has a lot to say about the world we live in today, as well as the world, of course. Of These early Christians. I want to start with this historical review. This is kind of messy. This was from two weeks ago, but I brought it back because it really will help us to understand the background behind this letter. And I really believe you need to know the background in order to capture the truth found in this book. So I've given you some blanks to fill in on your note sheet there but we're just going to work our way through these key dates that help us understand the book of 1 Peter. First of all, A.D. 30. A.D. 30 is Pentecost, or the story of the birth of the church. The birth of the church, if you fill in the blank there. Uh, around A.D. 30 is when Pentecost occurred and the New Testament church was born. Now, the next date that is important is A.D. 54. A.D. 54 is when Nero became the Roman emperor. We'll talk about why that is important in just a moment, but I'm just trying to help you understand this flow between A.D. 30 and A.D. 54, some significant things happened during this time related to the church, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. So, birth of the church, Nero becomes the Roman emperor. Around A.D. 63, the book of First Peter was written. The, the book we're going to be studying tonight was written around A.D. 63. These dates, by the way, are approximate, but probably pretty close. Now, this next date, it really is not approximate because we know from history, AD 64, was the great fire of Rome. I explained this last week, and and I'll get into it a little bit, or two weeks ago. I'll get into it a little bit again tonight. But AD 64, the great fire of Rome, two-thirds of the city of Rome burned. And it burned for nine days. The fire the, it burned for, for uh, a total of nine days. They put it out once, and then it came back again. And uh, lots of speculation as to why the city burned. Uh, it was started by the fire was started by Nero, and he blamed Christians for it after he got in trouble. But we won't dig into that too much. But eighty sixty four a big event in the history of the New Testament Church because of what that led to it. And again, I'm just giving you some dates, and we'll come back and, and explain it. All right, then, A.D. 66 is when Second Peter was written. Approximately, A.D. 66, the second letter that Peter wrote was written. A.D. 67 is a very significant date. It was around this time that Peter was crucified. He was martyred for his faith. He was, history says, tradition says, he was crucified upside down. Because he said he was not worthy to die like his Savior. So the author of this letter, 1 Peter, was crucified upside down, likely, around AD 67. Uh, that date is also significant because around that same time, we don't know exactly when, but around that same time, the Apostle Paul was also killed as well. He was beheaded, tradition says. So, after the writing of 2 Peter, shortly thereafter, Peter was Uh, was executed, and the Apostle Paul was executed. And then the date is not on this, and it's not on your note sheet, but just for uh, your information. Remember, Nero became emperor in AD 54. In AD 68, Nero committed suicide. Uh, He was only 31 years old. 31 years old. The emperor of Rome. And he committed suicide. Now, what do all those dates have to do with First Peter. Uh, let me try to build the story for you. What I really want to talk about is the building persecution. If you look, look up here for a moment, the building persecution between this event and this event. Yeah, you notice this arrow right here. It signifies that a lot happened between these two events. We talked about this two weeks ago, but, but I want to underline it for you. Uh, after the birth of, of the New Testament church, um, the church began to experience some persecution. Now, remember, when the church was first born, when the church was, was in its infant stage, the church began in Judea. It began among Jews. And so the Roman Empire, who was in control during this time, when, the Christians, uh, when Christianity was born, the Romans looked at Christianity as a sect of Judaism. The Romans weren't that concerned with Christianity at that time. Initially, the persecution that the church first faced was from, put this on your notes, was from Jewish religious leaders, not the Romans. This is an interesting and significant event or information. Initially, the New Testament church got pushback. They experienced persecution, not from the Romans, but from their fellow Jews. Let me show you this in scripture. We'll take a few minutes to read. Uh, A few passages in the book of Acts. Would you find the book of Acts and go to chapter 4? Acts chapter 4. Now remember historically Acts chapter 2 is when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. That was the birth of the New Testament church was in Acts chapter 2. By the time we get to chapter 4, persecution of the church has already started. But I want you to notice the source of the persecution. Chapter 4, verse 1. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. These are religious leaders. These are Jewish religious leaders who are upset that Paul and, and, and his, or Peter and John are, are preaching Jesus and preaching the resurrection, and so they arrest them. Look in verse 17. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them, these religious leaders are commanding them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking what we have seen and heard. Verse 27. Continue the story. In verse 27, uh, it says, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should have. Notice that Herod and Pontius Pilate were meeting together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to conspire against Jesus. Now, one more, one more passage. Um, well, let's just, for a second time, let, let's go over to chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. We're not going to take the time to read Acts chapter 7, but in Acts chapter 7 we see Stephen being martyred as the, uh, for his faith, the first martyr of the Christian church. Now, answer this question. Based on what you read in Acts chapter 7, who threw the stones? Jews did, not the Romans. The first martyr of the Christian faith was Stephen stoned by the religious leaders. So the persecution that the early church experienced at first was from the Jewish faith, those Jewish leaders. In fact, if you go to Acts chapter 8, look what you find out. Saul was there watching Stephen being stoned. Saul was there giving approval to his death. And on that day, a great, notice how it's described, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Saul is a Jewish religious leader. Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. It's not the Romans. These are the Jewish leaders. And of course later, Saul gets permission in chapter 9. He gets permission. It says he's breathing out murderous threats against uh, against the Lord's disciples. And he gets permission to go all the way to Damascus in this attempt of persecution. So here's the question. When did the Roman persecution of Christians begin? Well, it eventually became apparent to the Romans. During this time, if you'll see this little arrow here during this time it initially became apparent or it eventually became apparent to the romans that christianity was not a sect of judaism you know the romans viewed christianity as kind of under the umbrella of judaism for many many years and then when the when they saw the jews persecuting the christians they realized this is not a sect of judaism so guess what happened because the jews began to cast the christians out of the synagogue Because the Jews were persecuting the Christians, the Romans began to take note, and I want you to see what happened in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. This is very significant. The start of Roman persecution is recorded in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. All right, so let's see what it says. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. Now, King Herod was appointed as the Roman Ruler over Palestine. He was part Jew. But he the Romans gave him this assignment. And he was appointed by the Romans to be king over Palestine. Now watch what happens. It's about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. Intending to persecute them. He, this is now a Roman intending to persecute. He had James the brother of John put to death with the sword. Now watch verse 3. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to, to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. King Herod was partly Jewish. And he he apparently began to persecute the Christians to appease the Jews. He struck, Listen to this. It's a political move, trying to solidify his Jewish base. Trying to make sure, because he's only partly Jew, trying to make sure that the Jews would still uh, accept him. So he be- he sees that they hate the Christians, so he begins to persecute the Christians as well, trying to please the Jews. Now, what does all this have to do with the, all these numbers? That was happening in this time. Everything I told you so far was happening in this time, prior to, to Nero taking the, taking, uh, becoming emperor of Rome. AD 54, Nero becomes the Roman emperor. And he sees what the Romans have been doing to the Christians, and he decides for whatever reason to intensify that persecution. He is going to intensify greatly the persecution against Christians. And more and more and more of the local leaders in communities, the Roman leaders, they would marginalize and demonize and, and antagonize the Christian communities. And so, during this time, Nero became very, uh, uh, what's the word? He, he became very angry against Christians. So, between 54 and 63, the persecution intensified, and that's when Peter writes this letter to the people that are scattered. Look at the text again, going back to 1 Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Look on the map behind me here you'll see those five geographical areas in what is now called modern-day Turkey. And in, in those five geographical areas, Christians were living in those areas, but all of those areas were ruled by Romans. Rome had, it was part of the Roman Empire. Now, when, when Nero came in to the throne... He began to intensify the persecution against Christians so that when Peter writes this letter, we call 1 Peter, these people are experiencing tremendous suffering. That's why if you look in verse 6, we're not going to talk about it tonight, but if you look in verse 6, I just want to give you a little hint as to what Peter's going to be saying to these people. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And so this really is a letter about persecution and suffering in a way that you and I probably have never experienced. But in a way that people around the world are indeed still experiencing today. Now, all of that's background, all of that's kind of what we did last week, or two weeks ago. Um, just keep in mind that during this time right here, persecution was ramping up, ramping up, ramping up, to the point that Peter finally addresses it in the letter we call 1 Peter. Now, by the way, the reason this date is significant, when when Nero burned Rome, Nero got a lot of flack about that because people began to suspect that he was behind it and so Nero said no it wasn't me it was the Christians and that's when the Christian persecution leaped forward uh, in tremendous ways and they were literally burning the Christians at the stake soaking them in tar burning them at the stake as lanterns for Nero's garden parties Um, and that is what led to 2nd Peter the second book that, that Peter wrote. And then Peter and Paul were both uh, executed in AD 67. All right, so all that is background. That's kind of what we talked about two weeks ago. Now, I just want you to put your pen down for a moment. I want to try to paint a picture for you. Nothing you need to take notes on. I want to try to tell you a story and see if we can get into, the, into this story we call First Peter. Imagine, if you will, that you're a Christian living in the midst of this tremendous kind of pressure. This is not Powdersville. This is uh, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. You're you're not living in Powdersville. You're living in what we call modern-day Turkey. And the, the pressure on you as a believer in Jesus Christ is intense. You're not sure if you can feed your family because you can't even get a job because you're a Christian. Nobody wants to sell you anything because you are a Christian. And if you dare say anything to any government leaders, they're going to whip you because you're a Christian. And they may even jail your father or your wife or your child or you because you're a Christian. Not because you've done anything wrong, but because you're a Christian. And you're living in these areas under tremendous pressure. Pressure and you are hated and lied about and maligned because you're a Christian. Now, in your best moments, you grit your teeth and try to bear it. In your best moments, you grit your teeth and try to have faith. But in your worst moments, you consider turning your back on your faith. In your down days, you consider going back to the synagogue. In the hard times when you're looking at the faces of your wife and your little children, and you don't know how you're going to feed them any food today, you're getting angry and thinking about just forgetting all everything about Christianity so that you can survive. And in the midst of one of those disillusioned moments, somebody hands you a letter. Now, it's not a letter like you and I would have today. But it's a letter nonetheless. It would probably have been rolled up, bound, have a seal on it. It's on parchment. Somebody hands you this, and you're just really struggling inside. And they hand you this letter, and you break the seal, and you untie it, and you unroll it. And the first words you read are these. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. The great apostle Peter has written to you. To you, your family, your community. The man who followed Jesus, the man who was the leader in the New Testament church, he has sent you and your community a personal letter. And you can't wait to gather all the believers in your community together so that you can unroll that letter and so that you can read what Peter has to say to your group. And you realize as you're holding that scroll that you're not just holding a scroll, but you're holding hope. Because Peter has written a word to encourage you. I want to read what they would have read. I want to read the very words they would have read in those areas. Asia, Cappadocia, Bithynia, Galatia. I want to read the very words. As they unrolled that scroll, here's what they would have read. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, the God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So to get your note sheet there, and let's work our way through just the first few verses. We'll probably only get the first two there, but he begin, Peter begins his letter by reminding his readers who they are. Put this on your notes. I think there's a blank there. He, he begins the letter by reminding these people who they are. This is important because our belief flows out of our identity. Put that on your notes. Our belief flows out of our identity. Before I went off to college, my dad told told me something um, that I've never forgotten. He only said it to me once. Only one time. But before I went off to college, as I was 18 years old, and dad looked me in the face and he said, Keith, I want you to remember something. You're shorter, and that name means something. I never got into trouble in college because, you know, one of the reasons was I was preparing for ministry. But the other reason I never got into trouble at college was because anytime I was tempted to do something wrong, I kept hearing my dad say, you are a shorter, and that name means something. Peter used identity language as well as he begins this letter. He wanted to remind these Christians who they are. So he describes them, he describes their identity with three different phrases. I hope you have your note sheet there and you can take some notes as we talk about each of these phrases. Because he describes them, first of all, as God's elect. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect. Put this on your notes. That's another word, or another word for this phrase would be chosen. God's elect, another word would be chosen. Now, what are they chosen for? He answers the question for us in verse 2 who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. Peter's reminding his readers that they were chosen by God and they are God's children. They are chosen. At one time, only the nation of Israel could say that, right? At one time in the Old Testament, only the nation of Israel could say we're God's chosen people. The Jews were God's chosen people, but now, because of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, and the salvation he offers, Jews and Gentiles can belong to God. And so here's what Peter's saying. He said, I know you're going through trials, I know you're going through persecutions, but I also know something else. No trial or persecution can rob you of the eternal life God has given to you because he chose you. Look up here for a moment. And just because you're going through this hard time doesn't mean He has rejected you. You're chosen. Chosen by God. He has not rejected you. I know that there are some people perhaps watching tonight or maybe some of you here and your circumstances in life are hard and if you know Christ as Savior I would remind you that even in the hardest of times to remind yourself you are chosen by God. You are God's child. You still have reason to rejoice even when life is difficult because you are God's elect chosen by Him. Then he he gives us another phrase. Strangers in the world A couple of weeks ago we asked, what what words does your Bible use to describe that phrase? Some say aliens in the world, some say exiles, some use even the phrase foreign residents. Uh, The words that Peter uses here, strangers in the world, is really describing someone who's living somewhere, but that's not their permanent home. They're living in a town, they're living in a region, but that's not their permanent resident. They, They are temporarily there. And Peter uses this to say, We're exiles on this earth. Yes. You're exiles, look up there. You're exiles in Asia and Bithynia and Galatia and Cappadocia and Pontus. You're, you're exiles there. You're aliens there. You're, you're uh, strangers there, but that's not your home. That's where you're living. That's not your home. Right now just about everybody I'm looking at, I think you're living in upstate South Carolina. But if you know Christ as Savior, that's not your home. Not by a long shot. You're just here for a little while. But it's not your home. Sometimes when I do a funeral, I'll say, uh, you know, he didn't leave home, he went home. not your home. I know I've, I've already talked about my dad tonight, but let me do it one more time. I won't use him anymore tonight as an illustration. But dad, in his final months, dad always had heart troubles and heart surgeries and heart attacks and all kinds of stuff. Uh, it's just a bad gene, heart gene in the family. And so dad was having heart trouble and numerous things. And uh, he knew, we knew, he was in his last months. And one time when we went out over to see him, I think it was at Christmas time. Uh, he said to me, you know, when you know your time is short on this, when you know your time is short, this earth is not your home anymore. And that's, that's right. When you know your time is short, this earth is not your home anymore. That's the heart of First Peter. Living with the realization that this earth is not our home. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect. Strangers in the world. It doesn't mean that they acted strange. It meant that he recognizes this earth is just your temporary residence. We Listen, maybe I can say it to you this way. In Christ, you've become citizens of heaven, and therefore, because we're citizens of heaven, our hope is not in this world. Would you agree with that? If you're a citizen of heaven... Your hope is not in this world. Your hope is in the one who is Lord over everything. And then he uses another phrase. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered. That's the third phrase. Scattered throughout these five regions of Asia Minor. I love that phrase because it shows us It shows us that salvation has indeed extended beyond the borders of Israel at this time. If you look on the map, I don't know if those watching online can see this, but if you look on the map, it says Palestine in the bottom right-hand corner. That's Israel. Uh, It's not a very big area there. And what I want you to see is that by this time, when Peter was writing the letter, 1 Peter, around A.D. 63, when he's writing this letter around A.D. 63, Salvation now has extended beyond Palestine all the way up into Asia Minor. The salvation has been carried, the gospel message has been carried out of Palestine, out of Israel, and has made its way all the way up into Asia Minor, current day Turkey. The word scattered is an interesting word. Uh, it's just this idea, it's the same idea you'd have if you scattered grass seed. Uh, but the Christians were scattered throughout the world. I put this on my notes. They were scattered, but they were not forgotten. They were not living in Israel. They were scattered, but they were not forgotten. God still had their address. And God literally, through Peter's writing and the one that carried the letter, God literally put a word of hope in their hand. They were scattered, but they were not forgotten. I would say to you that this letter we call 1 Peter is both timely and timeless. It's timely for the people who needed it in those five geographical areas. It's also timeless because it speaks to us as well. Because there will be times when we will face persecution. People all over the world are doing it now. But if you watch the news, it's beginning to... If if you're a photographer, if you're a baker... You can just watch the news and see how, if you're a Christian photographer or a Christian baker, there is persecution that you would, that you would uh, compromise your convictions in order to participate in, in things that you don't feel like are biblical. So that kind of thing is going to continue to ramp up in our society. That kind of pressure is going to continue to escalate in our world. And we have to be ready. One of the reasons God gave us 1 Peter, don't forget this, one of the reasons God gave us 1 Peter is because we're going to need it one day. We're going to need it one day. So, the summary of the book, put this on your notes. As Christians, we are exiles on earth, but we're also citizens in heaven. And so we spend our times on earth focusing on two things. I'm going to give you these two phrases, and we'll see this throughout the book. Two things we need to focus on as believers in Christ, especially in times of suffering and persecution, are these. Number one, living holy. And number two, loving others. What you're going to see throughout the book of 1 Peter, if you'll stay with us as we go through this chapter by chapter, Peter again and again emphasizes the need to live holy and the need to love others. And if you could summarize the entire book, it would be with those two phrases. That as believers living in difficult days, in times of persecution, what is our role, what is our response to, to this kind of persecution? Peter would say, this is your response. First of all, Remember your identity. You are God's chosen people. So because of who you are, it should shape the way you live your life. So live holy and love others. Because of who you are, because of your identity, it should shape the way you live your life. So live holy and love others. Now, before we leave this text tonight, I I can't leave without making sure that you see the Trinity in verse 2. Look at verse 2. Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. God the Father, the Spirit, Jesus Christ. You probably know this, but let me make sure I tell you that you'll never see the word Trinity in the Bible. The word Trinity does not appear in the Bible. But, the work of the Trinity is all throughout the Bible. If you're not careful, you could zip right through 1 Peter 1-2 and miss the work of the Trinity in your salvation. You see, God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son, work together in perfect harmony to bring you or anybody who puts their faith in Christ, it really is the work of all three members of the Trinity. And one of these days we might really get into a deep study of the Trinity, but too often we think of the Trinity as kind of irrelevant, that it's kind of one of those doctrines out there, it's more theory in our mind than it is practical. I mean, Because, I mean, how do you even understand Trinity anyway? God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and three in one. And how do you, yeah, it's almost like, well, that's a... That's a Interesting theory and all that, but that's not very practical the way I live my life. Let me tell you something. Were it not for God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, you would not be able to be saved. You're not saved just because of Jesus. But it is, it is the work of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit that brings you to salvation. I, I put a place on your notes there, I think, to fill in the blanks. Peter's opening letter really shows us the role that each person of the Trinity plays in our salvation. Um, First of all, it says that the Father chooses us who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. The Father chooses us. Number two, the Son redeems us. It talks about for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood, the Son redeems us and the Spirit sanctifies us. It talks about through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. So it is the Heavenly Father that chooses you to be saved and chooses everyone to offer that salvation. It is the work of the Son to provide that salvation through His shed blood and it is the work of the Spirit to convict you of sin, and to sanctify you as you grow in your relationship with God. That's why Peter can say these words, and I'll end with these words at the end of verse 2. Grace and peace be yours. What's the next two words? Last two words. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are working in your life. And God can provide what is beyond human capacity. So grace and peace be yours in abundance. Yes, Peter would say to these people, yes, you're living in difficult times. Yes, you've gone through some tremendous, tremendous persecution. Absolutely. But God the Father, God the Son... God the Holy Spirit is still working in your life, has made your salvation possible. Therefore, this world you're living in is just your temporary residence. This world is not your home. You're an alien here. You're a stranger here. You're a temporary resident here. And God's going to continue to work in your life. That's why He can say, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now, next week, we'll talk about Praising God for living hope. Beginning in verse 3. All right, So let me pray with you. Father, thank you for the hope that is ours through Jesus Christ. Thank you for the goodness uh, that is ours because of your mercy, your grace. That you have expressed your goodness towards us in ways that we certainly don't deserve. Thank you, Father, that even in hard times and even in difficult times, when the world pushes back against us, when they really... Pressure us when the world is really against what we stand for and what we believe. Thank you for reminding us through this letter that grace and peace can be ours in abundance. And we can have a living hope in the world which is not our home. Teach us that I pray in Jesus name. Amen.